Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our South Shore campus joining us right now, our Gulf Coast campus, all of the men and women at the Orleans Justice Center online and here at Little Creek to week three of our series entitled Unshaking. Come on, can we just welcome all those that are joining us live right now? So excited to have you guys. We are in week three of a six-week series. Uh, We are teaching through... Uh, First Thessalonians. It is a small book in the New Testament. Uh, and as I said the last couple of weeks, uh, I just love when the, when the students, when the kids go back to school, how many know adults need to go back to school? And so I like to take the fall uh, and the spring as well and teach through a book of the Bible uh, on the weekend. We are looking at 1 Thessalonians. The reason why is because there's so many relevant themes in there. We're answering questions such as this. How do we live? How do we live confidently in dangerous times? Now, somebody asked me one time, Pastor, is more things happening now or are we just more aware of them because of news? Yes. I think the answer is yes. I mean, the reality is the impending possibilities of nuclear war. I mean, these are, these, these are becoming very real, uh, very concerning for, for all of us. Uh, we're, 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 we're thinking about it and hearing about it. So for the believer in Jesus, how do we live unshaken? By the way, uh, there have been a lot of speculation I'm going to be dealing with next weekend uh, in chapters 4 and 5. I'm going to be dealing with and answering questions about uh, Christ's return, the Antichrist, uh, all of those end time things. There's been a lot of speculation about uh, the return of Christ and there was a a group of what I would call prognosticators uh, that were suggesting that yesterday... Matter of fact, yesterday, September 23rd, Jesus was coming back based upon Revelation chapter 12. Um, We're still here. (laughs) Now, let me be quick to say, let me be quick to say, I don't know how many of you guys heard that, uh, but but it was a lot of people that thought, I want to be quick to say, the Bible says, Jesus says, no one, everybody say no one. No No one knows the time or the season. So nobody knows the exact day. Nobody knows the day when he's coming back. I will say this. Jesus also said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world and then the end shall come. I'm going to show you guys over the next couple weeks uh, what's called unreached people groups. And I'm going to show you uh, how quickly that is decreasing that the gospel is being preached to all the ethnos, ethnic groups, all the groups uh, uh, in the world. And when that is completed... When that is completed, uh, that that is fulfilled. So I would say this, uh, while I don't believe that he's coming back today, if he does, I'm ready. How about you? You're not sure about that? Hey, if it's a thousand years, praise God, we're going to be checking it out in heaven. But, but, for those of those that know Christ, but we need to live, we need to live and be ready today. In our series, we're diving into Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians today, we're going to be talking about spiritual strength again next week specifically and the following week, week four and five of the series, I'm going to be dealing with the end time themes. I understand it's football season. I understand what's going on. Saturday nights there's games. Sunday mornings there's games. I will say this, uh, please do not miss the next two weeks because I'm going to be answering a lot of questions that you guys have emailed in uh, about this, just all this stuff. So it's straight out of scripture. Uh, I'm going to borrow a little bit from Second Thessalonians as well, specifically related to the Antichrist. I'm going to be answering those questions. Today, though, in week three, I want to talk to you about spiritual strength. I want to talk to you about not physical strength, 
But how do we as believers live with spiritual strength in a culture that is buffeting us? In a culture, uh, in a society that can, can strangle uh, emotionally, physically, how people get overwhelmed in life. How can we live spiritually strong? In dangerous times. How, how can we live spiritually strong? Now, I want to say by way of spiritual strength, it's important for us to understand the context in which Paul was writing 1 Thessalonians. This is very, very important. Who was Paul writing to? He was writing to young believers. Remember, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I'll give you a 30-second rerun. All right? Paul the Apostle planted a church, Acts chapter 17. You guys know uh, that we're here in Acts chapter 17. You can read all about it. Paul planted a church. Most theologians believe that Thessalonians is the first letter that Paul wrote. If it's not the first, it's the second. Paul planted this church. He was in Thessalonica, which is still a city today in Greece. He was there for three weeks. He was run out of the city. Actually, they took him out of the city. He went to one city. Then he went to Athens. He ended up in Corinth. And he was in Corinth writing a letter, 1 Thessalonians. And he gave it to Timothy. And he told Timothy to go to the elders and the leaders in the church and to equip them with this letter to be able to encourage these young believers who were both Jews and Greeks that became Christians. All right? What is Thessalonica? It's a port city. Now, those of you that understand and have studied history, there's a, there's a whole set of vices that are often attached to port cities because of the transient nature of the people who live in port cities. The very nature of, of port cities, again, this is before airlines, this is before trains, this is before, there was two ways to travel in the ancient world. Number one is across land, whether it was through horses or camels, there's, there's, there's that way, or walking. The second way is through shipping. And, and when you had port cities, they were very transient because people would come and people would what? Go. There was a lot of traversing. There was a lot of, there, there's a transient nature to port cities. And because of that, there was, there was a, a certain, there was a certain makeup of both the, the lifestyles, of the value systems, the cultural mores that were attached to that. There, there was an interesting mix in port cities. I wrote this down. You know, we, we in the greater New Orleans area, and of course our Mississippi Gulf Coast, very close to the greater New Orleans area, we, 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 we are a port city. And it's interesting, we're celebrating next year, 300-year anniversary. By the way, you ought to know that, the centennial. Uh, New Orleans founded 1718, and so next year is the 300th year anniversary, next fall, at this time. And it's interesting, I've been reading articles, and, and they have them uh, in the paper every week. There's different articles about the nature of New Orleans. You ought to read about it. And one of the things they said, and they almost said it from a, from a standpoint of highlighting it like a cutesy way, but, the, the, but, but the, how it's been so characterized and marked by red light districts and French Quarter and prostitution and the vice and the corruption. I didn't take that as a positive. Are, are you with me? The writer that day, I'm thinking, bro, come on, mate, where's the twist? Where, where's the, come on, that, that's not a positive. But it's interestingly, and it's highly characteristics of port cities worldwide, globally, throughout history. Why is that? Because of the nature of people coming and people going. Servicemen, and the people come in, they, they do things, and then they would leave. And, 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 and that is what marked not only the greater New Orleans area, but that is, or the New Orleans area, that is marked that was marking Thessalonica. 
Paul understood the character of the people. He understood the nature of the people. He understood the lifestyles and the values and the mores and the, and the things. Marriage was not considered highly esteemed at all in Thessalonica. And Paul was writing to young believers to equip them, to instruct them how that they could be spiritually strong in that culture. Okay, does everybody understand the context? Having said that, I want to talk to you today about three keys to living strong. I'm going to deal with 1 Thessalonians. Again, I said, if you're new here or a guest, we're honored you're here. I'm not dealing with every verse. It would take me six months if I did, but I'm dealing with uh, the, the, a lot of the verses. I'm going to jump a little bit today, 1 Thessalonians 3, and then I'm going to dip into 4 as well. So I'm going to talk to you about three keys to living strong. Number one, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. Let's read that, and then we'll pick up from there. Paul writes this, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in, La in Athens alone. Athens was the city he was in right before Corinth where he actually wrote this book. Now watch this, verse 2, or this letter. And sent Timothy, that was his protege. Remember Paul and Timothy. Timothy was his, was his pupil, was, his, was, was his, the one that was in a learning posture towards the older leader, Paul. So he sent Timothy, our brother and minister of the gospel and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you. I sent Timothy back to Thessalonica so he could establish you. And encourage you concerning your what? Everybody say it. Your Paul was concerned about that. He wanted to make sure they were strong in their faith. Strong in their faith. Look at verse 3. That no one should be shaken. Series title. So that we were not shaken. That we could live, you guys could live unshaken. Regardless of what's happening around you. By the afflictions. For you yourselves know that we, are, we were appointed to this. Verse 4. For in fact... We told you before when we were with you that we, that we would suffer tribulation. Hey, we were going to go through a lot of things. By the way, don't let anybody tell you that if you sign up to follow Jesus, that your life is just going to be this giant utopian existence where you never go through trials. No, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through tribulation, but we can have the power and the peace of God and to move through, through those regardless of what buffets us. Paul says uh, that we would suffer tribulation just as has happened, and you know. Last verse, look at verse 5. For this reason, when I can no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. In other words, he's like a, a papa back here, all right? And, and he's, over, he's over in Corinth, and he's like, I had to know how you guys were doing. I wanted to make sure that you got it. I wanted to make sure that when I was preaching and you guys were getting saved and you were growing in discipleship, I wanted to know that I know. How many of you know you can, you, you, you can, you've got to know a deep conviction? I heard one preacher talk about knowing in your knower. Paul wanted to know in his knower that you guys were doing well. I want to make sure that you're not getting shaken because you, you live in a, 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 very, a very shady culture and I want to make sure that you stand strong in God. That's what he said. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter, hello, the tempter had tempted you. Who's the tempter? Satan. He's the tempter. All the way back in the Garden of Eden. Hath God said, you shall not eat of it. Did God say, he's always, the enemy's always attacking the word of God in our hearts. The Bible says Jesus himself said in the parable of the sower, when the word is sown in our heart, immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately the enemy, the tempter comes to try to take out the word that's sown in our heart. 
Isn't it amazing the moment you decide to get in the Bible, the moment you decide to go to church, the moment you decide to press into God, there's all these little distractions. Hello, that's not just natural distractions. Ooh, pastor, that's deep. It's in the Bible. The tempter comes to tempt us so that our labor might be in vain. He goes, I didn't want my labor to be in vain. I wanted to make sure that you guys got it. All right, three keys to living strong spiritually. Number one, I believe Paul's talking about enduring perseverance. This is a biblical theme in scripture. There is a a perseverance of our faith. Look what it says. Paul, I wrote this down. Paul encourages the Thessalonians to keep going. Look at what he says. He wants to see them established and encouraged. Verse 2. Unshaken. Verse 3. Reassured. Verse 5. Paul was anxious to hear that their faith had not failed in their time of testing. His primary concern was with their faith. How's your faith doing? How are you doing in your trial? How are you doing in the opposition? How are you doing when in school when everybody's trying to get you to compromise? How, how, are you, how are you doing in your faith at the job when people are trying to get you to do things? How are you doing? It's important to realize that the primary objective of the enemy is to overthrow our faith, to shipwreck this in our faith. The enemy comes. Matter of fact, <laughs> do you remember when Jesus was actually in the wilderness for 40 days? The enemy came to tempt him. Don't think that we're better than Jesus. And the Bible says that God sent help. He actually sent, the Bible actually says God the Father sent angels to minister to Jesus in the wilderness. Isn't that cool? The reality is, is that there is a real tempter. And let me qualify something. We believe and we worship Jesus, but we realize that there is a real devil. We, we don't believe that he's just kind of just mythical character, you know, just kind of, just kind of just, he just represents evil personified that there's, there's goodness and there's badness and there's that. No, we really believe there's a real enemy and that we are really buffeted in spiritual warfare, but we can stand strong. Everybody say stand strong. We can stand strong because of the power of God on the inside of us as believers in Jesus. We don't have to capitulate to culture. We don't have to give in. We don't have to run. We can stand strong in the love of God by the power of the Spirit, and we can endure and persevere. Why? Because of what Christ has done in our hearts. The daily supply of God's Spirit. Paul talked about that. Some Christians along the path of life, all of us actually get discouraged, and we fail. We make poor choices. We mess up, and, and and we fall. Failure for the believer is not failing. Failure for the believer is quitting. It's when you don't get back up. I mean, you know, we're going to get bobos in life. We're going to make wrong choices. We're going to get in situations. But thank God for God's grace. Thank God for God's empowerment. And thank God that, let me just tell you something. This is so important. Nobody promises, God does not promise us in the Bible that we're not going to go through some things. And sometimes we may even stumble. But here's the cool thing. God is the rescuer. He's letting down the rope. He's setting the helicopter. He's got the people. He's got, but we do have to hold on to the rope. He creates the rope, he sends the rescue plan, he's got the strategy, but we do have to hold on to what he's sending to us. Everybody say perseverance. Some of you, you've tried things and you've stepped out and it didn't work the way you thought. And Maybe it was in business or maybe it was in, who knows, maybe it was in you were sharing faith with some friends, you thought everybody was going to love you and yet they mocked you and ridiculed you because of your newfound belief in Christ. Maybe there was a relationship. I don't know, but we've experienced, we've experienced buffeting. It didn't work out the way we thought. It didn't work out in our job the way we thought. It didn't work out with raising a child. We thought, man, I did the same thing with this one that I did with this one. Anybody been there before? Well, the rest of you are so holy. 
I was like, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? It's like, geez, Louise. And boy, the enemy comes and lies to us, doesn't he? Ah, look at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're not this, or you're not that. And, and so you feel like a But here's what Paul would say. And he's saying to the Thessalonians, because nobody's perfect. We all mess up. We all, we, we stumble. But here's what Paul is saying. Don't cast away your confidence. Stay strong. Everybody say, stay strong. I love what he says. And he, oh, actually, uh, the writer of Hebrews wasn't Paul, but the writer of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not cast away your what? Say it. Confidence. God sends the helicopter. God sends the rope. God sends the rescue plan. But we do have to hold on to the rope. We do have some part to play. Don't throw away the rope. God throws it to you. I don't want it. God throws it to you. I mean, we do have to hold on. Therefore, do not cast away your what? Say it. Man, when you fail, you mess up, you feel like, man, I'm just such a loser. The enemy just comes to pound you, just to pound you. You're the only one, 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 one. You're a loser, 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 loser. Oh, man, I tell you. And you just get lower and lower. But yet the writer says, therefore, do not cast away your, everybody say, confidence, which has great reward. I love reading about history. I love reading about men and women of God that have overcome incredible obstacles, things that have come against them. And uh, one of my heroes is John Wesley, who was the founder of the Methodist movement. Some of you guys grew up Methodist, I'm sure, and uh, was a great leader. Actually, a short man, only five foot six, but extremely powerful. He'd preach, and, and he wrote books. He preached for 73 years. It's a long time, 70 years. I mean, it was just, but, but listen to this, and I have, an, I have actually have an excerpt from his diary. This is the actual diary of John Wesley. I don't have the original one, and, uh, but this is an actual excerpt, and it's all about, watch this, it's all about the power of perseverance of faith. It's staying in the game. It's trusting God, even though we don't see how things are going to work out. Trusting God, even though things are coming against us. Listen to what John Wesley wrote down. Now, this is a powerful man in the kingdom of God, but watch what he walked through. Sunday a.m. May 5th, preached at St. Anne's, asked not to come back. Sunday p.m., May 5th, preached in St. John's. Deacons said, get out, stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12th, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19th, preached in somebody else's place. Uh, Deacons called special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19th, preached on the street, kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May 26th, stay with me, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned loose during service. I thought bulls were only in Mexico. This is England. But anyway, so Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out at the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Watch this. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Many came to Christ. 10,000. What's the point? What if you'd have given up when that bull chased him? I'd say it, God. You never said bulls were part of this deal. How many times we give up right before the breakthrough? Y'all with me? We give up right before, right before the breakthrough. God never promised us a life of ease and pleasure, but he promised us that he would carry us through. If we'd hold on to the rope, there is persevering faith that God wants to develop in our heart. Number two, the second thing that Paul says here is, says, guys, not only, not only do we need to stay strong and persevere, but number two, 
There's a radiant holiness about our lives as we trust Christ. Holiness, interesting word. Not used as much as it used to be, but it's a biblical word. It's in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 8. I'm jumping to this. Watch what he says. Paul, so number one, he talks about how to stay strong spiritually. Number one is we have to persevere in faith. It's not our effort, but it's our holding on to God's power on the inside of us. Number two, there's a radiant faith that God, there's a radiant holiness. This is very important what I'm about to say. But God wants to, God wants to give us. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God. Pastor, what's the will of God in my life? There's two actual verses in the Bible where God says specifically, this is the will of God. Number one, in Philippians, he says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus that you give thanks. So number one, I know that it's the will of God for me to be grateful. Amen? Second place in the Bible where God says this is the will of God is right here. There's only two places specifically, all right? We know that the will of God is all the, but where he actually uses those words. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What's the context? That you should abstain, abstain, not partake of sexual immorality. Well, isn't that interesting? It says don't, don't let it be a part of your life. Verse 4. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel and sanctification and what? Say it. Honor. Look at verse 5. Very powerful here. I'm going to go to verse 8. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, don't live like the people that don't know God. You know God. The Holy Spirit's in your heart. The power of God's in your life. The name of Jesus is on your lips. The attending angels of heaven are surrounding you. Let me tell you something. Don't live like those that don't know God. The Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes that in, in the letter to the uh, Corinthians. He says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother or sister in this matter, sexually speaking. Because the Lord is the avenger of such, such as we have forewarned you and have testified. Don't do that. Look at verse 7 and 8. For God did not call us to what? Say it. Uncleanness, but in what? Holiness. Now, let me explain what holiness is in just a moment. Verse 8, last verse. Therefore, he who rejects this, he who rejects God's biblical sexual ethic, he who rejects these, what I'm talking about, listen, doesn't reject me. Doesn't reject me. Paul says, look, you're not rejecting me, but you're rejecting God. You're rejecting God's way, God's pattern, God's promises, God's principles, God's pathway to wholeness. You're not rejecting me. I'm not going to take it personal. But they're rejecting God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. In verse 1, the word walk comes from the Greek word that literally means living one's life out. It's one of Paul's favorite words to describe the Christian life. Now, there's a, there's a noun. I want to talk to you about the word sanctification. What does the word sanctify? It's a big term, right? Theologically speaking. Now, the word sanctified is in the scripture, the word sanctification. But, but what does sanctification actually mean? Sanctification is actually an analogous term in scripture to the word holiness. Now, listen to me. This is important. I'm going to help you guys with this because I think this is, I'm going to give you a diagram that I think that I've used many, many times and it helps. Sanctification and the word holiness are basically synonymous terms in Scripture. All right? What is sanctified? The word sanctified actually means to be set apart. All right? It means to be set apart. Distinct and different from. 
Paul was saying, I want you, listen, to not capitulate and give in to the cultural values that are resident in Thessalonica, but I want you, watch this, to be distinct, separate from, and apart from those values. Does that make sense? Now, what does it mean practically in our lives? How does this process work? All right, let's pull up that diagram if you would. And I think, by the way, I think I put it in your notes. Uh, I believe scripture teaches that we are a three-part being. Spirit, everybody say spirit. Say soul and say body. Okay, you are a spirit. The spirit and the heart in scripture are used as analogous terms as well. Before you come to Christ, before you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible talks about you were dead. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. So spiritually, we were not alive. Yes, we had a mind, will, and emotions. And yes, we had a body that's connecting to this earth realm. But spiritually speaking, this is dark. We're not alive. When you come to Christ, watch this. When you surrender to Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, and you submit your life to Christ, the Bible says you are born again. God's Holy Spirit comes into your spirit and now you become alive in God. So immediately, watch this, immediately you are born again and the Bible says you are set apart. You are a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in a direct sense, you have been sanctified. However, sanctification is a one-time event, but it is also a process because when you are saved, You are immediately changed right here. Your spiritual condition is changed, but guess what didn't change? Your mind, will, and emotions. Because you still have some of the same thoughts. You still have some of the same feelings. You still have some of the same decisions. So, and you still are connecting. So what happens is sanctification is both an event. Everybody say an event. When you get saved, you are sanctified. Your spirit is set apart to God. But now sanctification also is a process from the moment you give your heart to Christ all the way until you die and see Jesus face to face. You are going to be growing in sanctification, growing in holiness as the inworking of the spirit works out and the truth of God's word changes your mind. Paul says in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? That's another form of sanctification. The the renewal of your mind. Out with the old, in with the new. So the Holy Spirit, watch this, works in the truth of God's word, works on your mind, works on your emotions, so you don't react the way that you used to react. You don't, you don't, you're making different decisions. And now your soul affects your body. It affects how, it affects your habits and your decisions. See, Christianity is an inside-out deal. We don't change from outside in, we change from inside out. So sanctification is a, yeah, it is. Thank you. That's how this works. Everybody say, an event? What event? When you get saved, you're sanctified, your spirit is set apart to God, but you also begin a process. The process that finishes when you die and you see Jesus face to face. It's the Holy Spirit, though, that helps us change. Christianity is not a self-renovation process. It's not us trying to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not us trying to change ourselves. That's not Christianity. It's us cooperating with God as God changes us inside out. We have a part to play. It's called obey and cooperate. But God supplies the power. God gives us his book. God gives us his anointing to be able to change. All right. Paul also talks about in here... Paul is highlighting in this passage one of the most common ways that people get sidetracked and sidelined in their faith, and that's sexual impurity. 
which brings a serious obstacle to our growth in Christ. I want everybody to listen to me to the next five or seven minutes. Very, very important. I'm going to qualify some things. I'm going to say some things. And I'm going to say what I'm not saying. Then I'm going to say what I do want to say. I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. It's very, very important, particularly in light of where our current culture is today. This is what I wrote down. Paul knew that the sexual impurity in Thessalonica was rife. It was a serious issue of sexual immorality. Keep in mind that Thessalonica was a thoroughly Greek society. They were open to and accepting of most every imaginable sexual practice. Paul was concerned that they couldn't live a thriving Christian life if they chose to continue participating in the things that their culture viewed as normal. Paul's teaching here is quite clear. He is saying, don't live like the people who have no respect for God, God's word, and their own bodies. He says, you live under the lordship of Christ now. You live under biblical mandate. There's a different ethic that we govern our lives by. God's sexual ethic taught by Scripture, both Old and New Testament, is what was, is, and will always be the same. God's design for sexual activity has always been designed in the, in, the, in the context of a committed monogamous relationship between one man and one woman. That's God's plan. Listen to me closely. Listen to me, please. This is important. What does the term fornication mean? What does the term immorality mean? In essence, they're similar. Fornication and immorality is any sexual activity that's done outside of the context of marriage. That's what sexual immorality is. Adultery is when someone is married and they have sexual relationship with somebody outside of their marriage relationship. So that's important, all right? Very, very important. So why is this so important to us? God's word is clear. Human sexual ethics and culture are always changing, by the way. It's always changing. It was changing in Paul's time. We don't have the right to go with culture. We stay with God's word. And I want to say this. I understand globally speaking, some things that, that used to be considered biblical, people now think are prudish and out of step with contemporary society. I say this respectfully. I don't say this arrogantly. But I would rather be out of step with culture and contemporary society than out of step with God's word. Does that make sense? And I mean that. Now, I want to say this. I want to specifically clear on this. I know this is a very sensitive topic because sexual brokenness is so painful. And that's why I try to get transparent. I was sexually active before I was a Christian. I was. But 19 and under that as a teenager. And I'm going to tell you, I carried a lot of shame, a lot of baggage, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. But here's what's so great about God's grace. The grace of God, and maybe you're active right now sexually, and you're trying to overcome, and you're, and you're not in the context of marriage between one man and one. You're just out there. And I, so here's the point. God's grace can forgive you. God can not only forgive you, but God can empower you to stand strong. God can. God can forgive you. I thank God that God did that in my life. Listen to me very closely. I'm going to be very transparent. He not only forgave me of my sexual sin, he not only forgave me, but he empowered me from 19 to 26 to live sexually holy. I understand. I'm going to talk this thing. It's like, Pastor, you don't understand. You're not single. I was single in my 20s, and that's pretty fired up years. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking You get 50, it's like not as important. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm almost there. Are y'all with me? You're 21, 22, the engines are rolling, 23, 24, 25, I, I know. 
So not only God can forgive you because he forgave me and he cleansed me and he gave me a new start. And I don't see myself as somebody that's an old immoral person. I see myself as a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things. And you can too. You can be cleansed and empowered to live a holy life. How many are grateful for God's power? Are you with me? So I don't believe God's rules are oppressive and restrictive in the negative sense. I believe that God's rules are to empower us to live life to the fullest. Yeah. Lots to say about that, but I hope that I was clear on that. God will give us a fresh start, but we've got to do it God's way. By the way, I'll say this last thing about culture. What culture tries to do is they try to deny this book to think that the, they think the problem is if we can just get rid of the Bible in those re- repressive, restrictive things, then we'll feel better about ourselves living an immoral lifestyle. Here's the problem. You're made in the image of God and you have a conscience. You can't run from your conscience. Are y'all with me? God will empower you. God will forgive you. There's hope. We've got to do it God's way. All right, last thing and then we'll close. Brotherly love. I think it's so interesting. The Holy Spirit, remember this. We believe that God used human authors, but we believe the Bible is inspired by God. 66 books of the Bible. 40 different authors. God inspired Men and women of old, or men of old, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, the Bible talked about, they wrote, we believe the inspiration of scriptures, all right? But, but, but watch this. I think it's important where God put these next verses. Watch this, what Paul wrote. But concerning brotherly love, brotherly love, wow. He went from sexual ethic, and, and, and this is the will of God to live sanctified and all this, and all of a sudden he's talking about brotherly love. You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Look at the next verse. Indeed, you've also, uh, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you should increase more and more. And Paul's just like a good coach, isn't he? You guys are doing great. You scored a touchdown, but there's more in you. That's what he did. He says, you're loving well, but let's pray to increase in that. Now, why is this important? I think it's important because of this. It's important to note that the transition from sexual immorality is to brotherly love. Why? Here's what I'm saying. Listen to me closely. What I found in my own life, and I find in people that are walking out the Christian life, is this. That we have needs emotionally. We have needs in our lives. You know what sin is? Here's, here's what it is. Sin is, sin is meeting a legitimate need illegitimately. And you know what I found? That when I was getting discipled and all that stuff was breaking off of my life, you know what I found out? It was my healthy relationships with other men and women in the context of being loved and giving love in a healthy way that I wasn't defrauding people anymore. Does that make sense? So actually, hey, by the way, do you know where addiction psychologists will tell you? Nothing to do with scripture, all right? Watch this. You know what contemporary secular psychologists will tell you? Do you know the root structure of addiction is? The opposite of addiction is not freedom. The opposite of addiction is connection. Addiction is the outgrowth of a lack of connection. And you know what I found is? You show me somebody that's walking properly in relationship with God and other brothers and sisters, and they're loving and receiving love. And I'm going to tell you, their needs are being met properly, and their pull towards sin decreases. Yeah. That's why Paul said, as we love one another, as we walk in love with one another, as we encourage, John 13 says it this way, verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
See, a, a man or woman that's truly growing in the grace of Christ, they're demonstrating the love of God. They're walking in the love of God. And it's community. And it's, that's, why we, that's why we're so excited about small groups. Why do you always talk about small groups at Church King? Because we know it's life or death, literally. You need relationships. And that's the greatest way that we figured out where at least people can connect and do life and get prayer, pray for one another. I cannot tell you the times I'm coming out of the world, I'm coming out of all that stuff and all that stuff. I'm 19, 20 years old. And, and, and I was actually in a small group by Doug Armin and I'm, I'm being pulled. My friends are at, hey, Steve. You know, I'm just like being pulled. I'm being drawn back into this. I'm like, ah, guy, you know. And, I, and, and you know, just right at the last minute, you know, I'd get a call from Brother Doug. Hey, Brother Steve, I never got the brother thing. And they call, he's a, he said, hey, Brother Steve, just thinking about you, man. We've got some guys. We're going over to Shoney's to eat some translucent shrimp. <laughs> I will say this. That shrimp at Shoney's is not God's will for our lives. That's the third place. It's not in the Bible. It's in my Bible. Come on, y'all with me? That's from actually hell. Anyway, so... But I can't tell you the times it was brotherly love. It was men and women of God, and we would hang out. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Don't miss this. This is so important. We have needs, but they've got to be met properly. When our needs are not met properly, our, our, our need is then highlighted, and we start to meet it improperly. That's called sin. That's why Paul talked about it. He said, let me tell you something. The way that you're going to stand strong in Thessalonica, and you're not going to give in, Number one is, you, 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 is that I, I'm praying that, you, that your faith perseveres, that you grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Number two, that you stand strong sexually. Yes, you can, you can stand strong. Yes, you can. You can not only be forgiven of immorality and fornication, adultery, absolutely, but you can also be empowered by the grace of God to not give in to Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And then he also said, and the way that we cap this thing is in a, in a healthy way connect is, is, is through brothers and sisters walking together and loving one another, encouraging one another, and praying for one another. And when you do that, you will be spiritually strong. That's what I want in my life. How many of y'all want that in your life? Come on. How many of y'all want that in your life? Let me, let me pray for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to ask everybody to stand.